Hello. 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 Wow, stereo. Hi. How you doing? Hey, yo. Yo. Uh, I brought today, just for us to, you know, flavor explore, I went to the Mexican grocery today, and so I brought some guava, which we've had before, but I don't think we've mm-hmm. ever had in its fruit form. Which really, really pretty tasty. Just the seeds are a little it's hard to get. It's very used to. seedy, yeah. and they're tough seeds. Get stuck in like the divots of your teeth and whatnot. And yeah, coyotes, which I originally thought were Mexican pears, but apparently they're not. They are a type of squash. Um, looks like a pear. Mm-hmm. You can. It's not very. It's not wonderfully tasty raw. We can see it used in salads. Uh, it'd be interesting to try it cooked, and also some. Uh, prickly pear cactus leaf, which we are now imbibing. We had just cooked it, and it tastes pretty good. Mm-hmm. I didn't really have a good comparison. It's it's definitely a different flavor. I mean, it's ringing a bell. Like I've had things recently. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's got a bit of a bell pepperish. Yeah, I was going to say, but there's there's more sweetness to it. Mm-hmm. And there's skin on both sides, so the texture is different than biting into a bell pepper. Because it's about th- as thick as diced bell pepper, except you got the skin on both sides. And uh, it's, got a, it's got a slight tanginess in there, and it's got a bit of a sliminess like okra. And um, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I like it. All right. How was your week? Bing. Uh, Jeff is now checking his phone, so he yes. can't talk while he's checking his phone. <laughs> they're sending me a message. And I had a... I just was... God, I, I spent all week trying to get this report to work, and it uh, still doesn't work quite right. Uh, it's You have got to see this thing. It is such a mess. But... Uh, what they want is kind of ridiculous, so it's hard to do. But I've also just had a long week. How about you? My week was pretty good. I um, ended the week on a bit of a high. It was a small victory, but I uh, got the entire field staff all enrolled in LastPass and trained. And you know, there's going to be ongoing training and whatnot. So I have two people that are both in the office, which I'm going to nail down Tuesday and Wednesday. And then we completely enrolled, and I can start doing other things. I don't know if we talked about this last week. We might have. But once everyone's enrolled, I can increase security of some other third-party sites that we use, because turning on uh, SAML uh, federated authentication, where they won't be able to get into Salesforce unless they're already logged into LastPass. And the LastPass is protected by two-factor authentication, so now Salesforce gets two-factor without having to set up additional two-factor just for the site. So, and then there's other sites we use, which we'll be able to use that for as well. So now that everyone's enrolled, I'm going to work on turning on those and we're just going to run from there. I, uh, heard there are rumors that Microsoft may be buying Salesforce. Oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't know anything about such a thing. I don't really deal much with Salesforce. Uh, when I started thinking about using the SAML feature that's in LastPass Enterprise, uh, I started looking around to see which of our apps that we use use it, and Salesforce supported it. So, I mean, other than the research and testing to turn that on, I've done very little with our Salesforce uh, application. I suppose Salesforce is outside of other industry players is our main out-of-industry competitor, at least for our CRM. 
um, you know, our CRM is designed specifically for the the market. Although it it is, it can certainly be expandable mm-hmm. to the same kind of levels that Salesforce is, right? Uh, but it's you know, it's all tailor made for the the market. But in theory, you could take Salesforce, and I mean, it's pretty open and extendable, and you could turn it into a, a similar situation. Oh yeah, I mean, what I do know about Salesforce is you can write lots of workflows, applications, if you will, inside the framework and have it track any kind of thing you really want. There's people out there that just do Salesforce add-on development. Mm -hmm. We contracted one of those to do something in our site a couple years ago. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you're a contract worker, it's a pretty neat gig, I think. It's relatively... uh... Salesforce is relatively opaque and confusing to the average well, person. So. Actually, I was going to say relatively easy to use, relatively painless for the developer. Once no, you understand, for the it. developer, for the users, they walk in and they see like, yeah, uh, it's like walking into an Apollo capsule and there's like fifteen hundred knobs and switches. Like, yes, what the do I do with all these knobs and switches? That's kind of what Salesforce looks like when you log into it for the mm-hmm. first time. Mm-hmm. Any. CRM will kind of look like that. Um, There's just so many options. Right. We're drinking the uh, Mission Hard Root Beer. Got two bottles of that. And it tastes a little more alcoholic to me today than it did last time we had it. Well, I mean, it tastes more... It tastes... Definitely, the hops are, are hitting me stronger. But yeah, it does taste a little bit higher in alcohol. Yeah, the last time it tasted very soda-like. I didn't really notice any kind of booziness or anything. And this is seven percent, right? I mean, it's pretty high. Yeah. yeah, I seem to recall tasting a lot like soda last time, and this time it tastes more like a hard root beer. Oh well, it's all good. Yeah, didn't mean that it wasn't. So, I mean, my week was was the last past thing. Oh, another fun tech thing that I was working on. So we're getting dark fiber installed. Between the office and the colo, so that mean for people that don't know that's that means that a, a nothing D, else is on DQE it. is just providing the glass strands and not providing any network equipment. So we have to run our own mm. light over the fiber, if you will. Excuse me. Excuse me. And I can route traffic I've, I've been testing performance you know we don't have the fiber installed yet but i've just been testing a local performance i can route traffic 10 just under 10 gigabits per second but you know i wanted to go through the exercise of encrypting that link man this root beer makes you gassy doesn't it i've uh, went through uh so i wanted to see what i could do with, with encrypting this link so i used i use open vpn for most of our uh link encryption stuff and at internet speeds you know at typical internet speeds you know, 20, 50 megabits, it works fine. Uh, when I ran the test without tuning anything, I only got about 430 megabits on a 10 gig link. Hmm. Not so good. So with tuning in a single connection, I got it up to about 1.2 gigabits better. But I still want most of 10. Right. So then I realized that Open the OpenVPN software and all the uh, Linux-based uh, VPN and SSL or encryption tunnel encryption type stuff—they're all single-threaded, so they can only can't take 
A single oh. connection can only make use of a single core. Oof. And the box I'm putting running it on has 12 cores. 12 cores with the Intel AES-NI, you know, encryption acceleration. So what I did next was I stood up 10, like, parallel VPN tunnels, and they put them all into a bonded interface. So one interface that kind of stripes across the 10, and then comes out the other side as ones, right? So kind of 10 lanes on the highway. Okay. Right? So you can... With one exit? One exit, but a big fat exit, right? Because it's not like the exit's at a slow speed. So when I do a performance test through this bonded interface, I'm able to get over 7 gigabits getting there. But I didn't like how fragile the setup of the bonded interface was. My scripts that would bring up and tear down these tunnels would have to be very well written with no errors to be reliable enough for this thing. So Friday I was trying to use routing protocol use OSPF with equal cost routing to spread the traffic across these 10 tunnels and I don't have any conclusive results on yet on that yet but once I do if it works I think that's the way we're going to go okay I, I don't know so here's the thing it's it's point to point dark fiber right no one's going to be able to to get in on that traffic except for sufficiently motivated yeah agencies like NSA is installing a prism tap, prism tap mm-hmm. on our fiber, which isn't going to happen. So should I even waste my time with encryption? <laughs> with encryption? Or, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You don't need it until you do. So I just kind of wanted to do the exercise and Can see. Can you, I mean... Encrypting 10 gigabits per second. No, is, no, no. It, it's, it's funny. If you Google it, there's, I mean, aside from the like super expensive Cisco and Juniper stuff, there's not much info out there. There's not many people trying to do this with like free and open source solutions. See, this is where a, a quantum cryptography solution would come in handy because what you really need to, to observe is not. It, the question is, is my stuff being observed or not? And with a quantum cryptography system, you could tell whether it was being observed or not, as opposed to. Now there's really no way you can't tell if there's someone observing across the line. So it's so that that's where it's like, well, do I encrypt or not? Mm-hmm. I mean, if there was a way you could send something and you could tell whether that was being intercepted or not, then that would make all the difference in the world. Because then you can say, okay, I don't need to encrypt this until I see that this is happening, and then I'm going to right. turn encryption on. Yeah. So I mean, I knew going in that saying I want to encrypt dark fiber. Sounds a little bit paranoid, but Google thought they didn't need to encrypt their dark fiber at one point. Mm-hmm. And look what happened to them. So, you know, now I'm not saying the NSA is going to target us the same way they're targeting Google until they want to. Yeah. So. And so the question is, does that matter to you and your business? Probably not. Until the news breaks that. Other nation states have infiltrated themselves into telecom carriers and have their own prism taps installed inside <laughs> the United States. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing, you know. I mean, could it's conceivable. Uh, are you guys carrying state secrets and stuff? No, we don't want. We don't want a company to start up in China selling our IP, though. That would be bad. Right. So it's probably not necessary. I, really, I mean, there but are so many other vectors for attack 
Yeah, it was a fun uh, exercise. That to, to, if if it was just about getting your IP, there's and somebody in China really wanted, they'd be able to get it without cutting into your dark fiber. Probably. Hell, we did a we we did a fucking show from there at night. <laughs> um, Nixon on the O'Shea. <laughs> Did you? We might want to talk about this in the main show, but the BJCP just put out their new style guide. I didn't see it now. And the categories are kind of some bold choices. Oh, really? Um, let me pull it up real quick here. While you're perusing it, I can kind of share my comments. Unless you think this is a main show topic. It's definitely a main show topic, but we can take a, a brief look at it. Okay. So they don't... Let's see. 2015... Almost. If you go to the BJCP Style Center, they have the links there. They have three files. They have the beer style guidelines, the mead style guidelines, and the cider style guidelines. I've only looked at the beer one thus far. They both have uh, burp <laughs> buttons at the same time. It happens. I see two... Okay, here we go. Alright, so one of the things they did is... They um, kind of went with more regional lines for the the major categories. Like, for example, category... Where is it? The one... Well, the one that... So, standard American beer. You know, because, like, one used to be... Here, let's see what category one used to be. Let me pull this up. This is great radio. We can talk about how you uh, you messed up the title name of the last show. We could even as the- we've, al- we've already talked about that. Where it's if I uh, it's get the show up timely or get the show up right, and I know you want both, but well, I mean, I wrote out the title exactly as it should be, and it's like it's not that hard to to type out the name of Will Ferrell correctly. <laughs> There's. A dozen other things I made sure I got right, and I missed one. I'm sorry. All right. So, you know, the first one used to be Light Lager, and then was followed by Pilsner. Remember what, what I attacked What's-His-Name for? Being sloppy. Yeah, sure. Well, if you don't want me to be sloppy, then, you know, we probably would have had to wait till today to get the show up. <laughs> I don't believe that. I think you're better than that. Or If you look at American Ale, the old 28 American Ale, we see American Pale Ale, American Airberry Ale, American Brown Ale. Right, right. That's the old category ten. So, is there a new? Is it category? No, there's not, not oh, category ten. It's category. You're, you you change a subject about me being sloppy, and then you disrail me from what I was going to talk about. And you're you're trying to find category ten, which isn't even the part of. It's, I thought you were talking about American beer. I'm sorry. No, I, the only reason I changed the subject was to have something to talk about while we searched. Okay, <laughs> just fill up dead air. So the new categories are kind of more regionally based. And if you find the one, there's a category 815, Irish beer. This is the one that's most representative of a bold okay. choice. Because in the same category, when you know the category that gets medals, you're going to have Irish red, Irish stout, and Irish extra stout competing against each other. Huh. Right? Where previously Irish red would compete against Scottish ale, I think. Let's see... 
Irish Ale used to compete against... Yeah, Scottish and Irish Ale. Uh, nine. Which is more similar. So you have these dissimilar things competing against each other. The other noteworthy th- worthy thing that I tweeted about is that in category... Let's see. 6A is Meritzen. 7A is Vienna Lager. And 4B is Fest Beer. And you could conceivably brew the same beer and enter it in three different categories. Because you could brew, you could definitely brew a beer at the intersection of those three style guidelines. Well, I mean, an Oktoberfest used to be a Martzen. Or Martzen used to be, that's what you called it. Right. But now, now there's... Martzen, Fest Beer, and Vienna Lager are in three different metal categories. Weird, yeah. And there's a, there's a, a Venn diagram has a significant amount of overlap Absolutely. in those three beers. Absolutely. So I thought that was interesting. Foreign extra stout is going to be in the same category as oatmeal stouts and sweet stouts. That's, I mean, kind of, I can see, but it, yeah. There, okay, so you have dark British beer, 16, right? And that's the one Greg's talking about. But look what's missing there. Imperial stout's not in that category. Imperial stout is in the American stout category. American porter and stout, 20. And look at it. All sours are in one category, European sour, yeah. Berliner, Flanders, Outbrun, Lambic, Goose, Fruit Lambic. I think it's an American sour, too. Oh. Um, maybe not. Yeah, there's got to be Brett beers and things like that that aren't mentioned. Uh, where is that? They have 27's interesting, historical beer. American Wild Ale, 28. There you go. Okay, 27's interesting with... Uh, Historical yeah. beer. Got Goza, Kentucky Common, Lichtensteiner, London Brown Ale, Pivo Grudski, Pre-Prohibition Lager, Pre-Prohibition Porter, Ruggen Beer, and Sati in a category. What's a Kentucky Common? Not particularly sure. Let's look it up. Yeah, scroll down a little bit. I'll give you yeah. a very detailed description of a Kentucky Common. So, I mean... They split it out to a lot of categories. I think it. I think there's going to be, you know, they're going to have to live with this for a while and see how it lives, how it evolves. You know, some of these styles might fade, some might get more prominence. The um, the IPA category is really split out. So 21's IPA. Well, I, I guess not because there's 21B specialty IPA has like sub styles mentioned in it for Belgian, black, brown, red, rye, and white. But they're not they're not their own letter category. Mm-hmm. It's not like twenty one C D E and F. They're all under twenty one. Well so you could just judge, you know, like the best Kentucky Commons mm-hmm. as opposed to judging just the best historical beer, right? I mean, you, you can but when you best... award, but you award a medal on twenty seven historical beer. Oh. So you're going to have to compare a Goza how good a Goza is to the best Goza Hmm. to how good uh, Kentucky Common is to the best Kentucky Common. And that's the thing. I mean, the thing I'm, like, the reason I'm, like, thinking that this is, like, a crazy pile of nutso is because in the past, you've always had to do that anyway. You're comparing an Irish red versus a Scottish ale. It's not about your favorite beer. It's right. how good they are to the, the representative example of the beer. And you're still doing that. It's just, it's in, like, the two I mentioned were, 
Well, look, yeah, the Indologer Fespier yeah. and Meritzen are in three different metal categories. Well, just think of those two. So you have, uh, or you have a Goza, you know, which is a tartan, fruity, wheat, salt ale, with uh, the Kentucky Common, which is apparently a darker colored, light flavored malt accented beer with dry finish, uh, interesting character malt flavors, uh, high carbonation again, but uh, mild flavors, sessionable. So sort of a low gravity corn uh, and. And barley beer. What so? What do they have for classic examples or commercial examples? Uh, commercial examples: Apocalypse Brew Works Ortel, nineteen twelve. Just That's one. The only one. <laughs> okay. Let's see what they have for commercial examples of Goza. Anderson Valley Goza, Bayerich, Banhoff, Leipziger Goza, and Dolmir Riddigus Goza. So this is interesting. 34A, clone beer. This style is intended for reproductions of specific commercial beers that aren't a good representation of existing styles. So maybe Ballantine would work in that, because... It's not quite. Like it says. It says. Well, right, right, but I think it's maybe more open for. Well, they have experimental too. Yeah, I don't know, but it's interesting. They have a clone beer. Like, how do you judge that? You know, because you're not going to. Ha- well, let's take a let's look. See, overall impression based on the. Dec- I guess you declare what beer it was made to to mimic, which is interesting because usually the. Um, I guess in BJCP, for some of the categories, you would specify details about the beer, like mm-hmm. uh, experimental beer or fruit beer, you would mention something about it. The beer uh, should be judged as to how well it fits the broader style represented by the example beer, not how well it is an exact copy of a specific commercial product. If a clone beer does not fit another style, do not enter. That's weird. Because, yeah, you're saying then, I'm going to clone an IPA, judge it as a clone beer, but then judge it as an IPA. Well, it says it, don't enter here, right? So this is if you want to clone. Um, okay. Say yeah, you want to clone yeah. Gumball Head, and pretend Gumball Head doesn't fit under specialty IPA. Right. You would enter it as a clone beer and say it's like Gumball Head, but it probably does fit under specialty IPA. Yeah. But that's that's an interesting style. Looks like they they threw in a bunch of like a bunch of catchalls. As kind of a like, well, let's let's make sure we have these covered <laughs> type situation. So right, all right, that's interesting. Yeah, we can talk more about this on the on the main show. Probably repeat most of what we said in less detail. <laughs> oh, the appendix A is the style sorted using your two thousand eight categories. What's, so, what's, oh, appendix. Okay. Yeah. So you can then find out using 2008 category where where the new style is. Like mm, okay. number three is European Amber Lager and the old one. In that now you have seven A and six A Vienna and Martzen Lager. Interesting. Sort of. I tweeted, and an Irish Irish red will never win another medal. <laughs> you know, because it's competing against Irish stouts and Irish extra stouts now. But, like I said, it's not about your favorite yeah, beer. Right. It's about how good they are compared to the style. So it was a joke, but I 
Thought it was appropriate. Joke, joke, joke. That was appropriate. Yeah. So what do you think? What do stuff of these stuff? I'm just trying to think of stuff that happened. I mean, the British elections happened this week. I don't really have much to comment on it. <laughs> um, God, I'm just kind of... I didn't write anything down this way. I didn't have any... Did you see the um, that podcast I sent you a link, the 60 Second Science? Yes. And they're talking about how light... Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah loses yeah, yeah, yeah. energy in spaces of extreme nothingness. Right. Because it's equivalent to flowing uphill because there's no... Because the gravity behind it... It's, is, it's a colorful metaphor, not quite right, exactly. Sure. But yeah, more or less, yeah, light loses... I mean, well, we talked about this last week, about how energy is not conserved in a system that doesn't have time translation symmetry, like, the, like an expanding universe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, energy doesn't get conserved over large spaces you actually lose energy of the light as the universe is expanding in that area um so th- they were say- saying that y- they actually found that the cosmic microwave background uh is it was cooler is than they cooler expected than expected in that area where there's not a lot of matter because essentially it's no basically basically notably empty space right compared to regular space which another way to think about it, because they kind of talked about it, is they they talk about it a very very nice analogy. I think a pretty good analogy. Uh, so I'll, I'll use. A, I mean, it seemed re- main reason I sent it to you was yeah. because hearing it, hearing that light loses energy in empty space, it seems counterintuitive right. at, at the surface, right? And then when they made the analogy of it's equivalent to since it's empty, there's no gravity, and equivalent to going uphill. And then, of course, coming out of the empty space is going to start rolling downhill again. But because of the expansion, right. you know, it was going uphill longer. Right. So more energy was lost. So but why does that example work? Well, it's because uh, you have the expansion, the, you know, the metric expansion of, of the universe, which is going at, what, uh, seven, uh, 70 meters per something megaparsecs. I forget exactly what it is anyway. It, it, it's, it's a crazy number. But... If you have light that's traveling through an area where there's a lot of matter, then it's all then the the expansion of the universe is roughly kept in by the gravity of that area. So it's, it's expanding slower. Yeah, it's, it's expanding slower in that area where the, where the light is, mm-hmm. as opposed to when there's not a lot of matter, there's not a lot of gravity, so it's expanding faster. So that's why there are there are the dips. I see. I thought it was it was, a, it was a good analogy, you know, a little not technically perfect, but I mean mm-hmm. that's what analogies are. And so, can you yeah. do better in sixty seconds? No, I don't think I can. <laughs> it's, it, I thought it was a very very nice analogy, but right. yeah, but the the technical reason why is just slightly more complicated, but not all that hard to to think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I thought it was interesting. It seemed counterintuitive, and I wanted to throw it at you to get yeah. your opinion on it. Uh. Did you see the other tweet I sent to you? The thing we should have used our dry ice for? Yeah. Uh, so Lasting it in a mirror doesn't seem like a very good idea. <laughs> well, they were using dry vapor, dry ice vapor, right? apparently. To, I, actually, I didn't read the whole story. I just kind of It looked like it was probably the James Webb scope, right? Because that's... Yeah. Well, they're like, you know, the, 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 con- the caption was, you know, we're using dry ice to clean our space mirrors. Yeah. 
So what is the space mirror going? Well, James Webb, as far as I know. Uh, it was a Goddard. So, I mean, Goddard's where they maintain Hubble. I think James Webb, James Webb might be there. I mean, you would definitely, yeah, ha- you would definitely have the... Um, you definitely want your space telescope area to be in the same place, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's not going to be a JPL. It's going to be at, uh, at Goddard. Yeah, so uh, they're not putting any new mirrors up in Hubble. Once Hubble's gone, it's gone. Right, right. Uh, they just celebrated the 25th anniversary of Hubble, too, so that's... Yep. Yeah, the key. I heard you know there's a whole bunch of stories about how it's a little little telescope that keeps on going. Yeah. No one mentioned like how many gyroscopes are left. Like I think it's down like to like. No, they fixed them. I think they're you know they only need three, mm-hmm. uh, and there are six in there, and I think they fixed them last time. So. Okay, I thought they were. I thought they were up one or two were offline already, but I don't know. I don't. I don't know for sure. Let's talk to our Goddard peeps. Yeah. We, while, while we're going down to Saver, we can check out Greenbelt. I, I was there with the scouts and had a pretty cool tour, and you could see the um, the engineering mock-up of Hubble. You know, there's a big window, and you can look down over it. So anytime that they're they need to like get eyes on to come up with a solution, you know, mm-hmm. they go to the engineering mock-up, just like uh, Apollo 13, right, where they had the the NASA guys like working on like how to fit it because there's an engineering mock-up on ground and they figured out how to fix the air filters and stuff on that. I'm reminded of that story a couple a couple years ago where uh, the U.S. government just gave NASA like two new Hubble, well, two Hubbles it wasn't using because Hubble was designed to be a space telescope but also an Earth-observing okay. thing for the CIA and so they made a bunch of them. And they just had two of them. They were just hanging around. They're like, "You want these?" Were the main mirrors messed up on those two? No, I don't think so. Huh. <laughs> they launch them on like Delta rockets or something. Yeah, probably. Or the or on some of the secret shuttle missions. Okay. There was there were pl- there were plenty of those where the the payload was secret. Mm, you're right. Yeah, I never heard that story, but that's cool. Yeah, I mean. Um, at um, Goddard, got to see you know the world's largest vacuum chamber where they tested the, um, the eagle, you know eagle lander mm-hmm. and stuff. You could fit the whole lunar module in this vacuum chamber. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. On to beer. On to beer. Beer. Yeah, a little bit of noise in the background, but it's keeping Greg from sweating. <laughs> it's the air conditioner. <laughs> we didn't have it on till today, and today was just brutal. It was brutally hot. And so Heather turned it on, and and she's like, "No, it's probably a good idea. We turned it on because Greg wouldn't have been happy if it was <laughs> if it was as warm in here as it had been previous. I probably wouldn't have been happy. Well, down here it probably would have been okay. Upstairs would have been sleeping tonight would have been a nightmare. Yeah, it should be brutal for the week. I think. Oh boy. You know, I just wanted a little bit of spring. It, it's gonna, it's gonna cool down at night, but it's gonna stay hot. Okay, during the day. 